This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Michaeline. She had a near-death experience where she learned that her childhood imaginary friend is real, and today we're going to learn about it. Michaeline, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome. Thank you so much for having me here, Jeff, and for creating this venue. Thank you. Um, okay, a little bit of context. Mm-hmm. I had a really bad childhood. Uh, there was a, a in our extended family. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a lot of abuse starting from the time I was five. And at the age of five is when I met, while trying to hide from this individual, uh, Michael, my guide in my consciousness. And this being always advised forgiveness, always advised love told me I would one day love my abuser in the nurturing way that he should love me. Um, Now, this caused a bit of uh, turmoil because I was so traumatized, I hid a lot. And my dad thought that I was just being disobedient. And that's why the hiding. And so he blistered me rather regularly for hiding, which was just the way I coped when I was scared. I would go hide. Um, Anyway, so about the age of 15, I'd had the companionship of this guide, always showing me wonderful ways to look at situations um, rather than in the sad way or the horrifying way that most people would uh, normally naturally view them. He would show me something blessed in things. And um, it was... I, the the types of feelings that would wash over me uh, when he would show me these things were so euphoric and so loving and um, very much like I experienced in the void when I died. Now, get on to that. So here's me at age 15. I um, basically decided that I started studying science. I decided Michael was an imaginary friend. And I went full bore, uh, what is the word, Uh, empiricist, full bore empiricist. And I kind of stopped listening to Michael, experimented with uh, drugs and alcohol and all kinds of stuff. It was kind of reckless and rash and uh, daring. And a lot of what I did, you know, as a very strong young woman. And so I never thought anything would really hurt me. I was, seemed I was made of rubber, you know. So the day that I had my NDE, I was uh, out with a friend of mine, Tammy, and we had decided to go horseback riding. And I had caught Ticker. Ticker Ticker was a barrel mare. She was very gentle, sweet horse, easy to ride, and very, very maneuverable. Um, And I caught her very easily, but I didn't want to ride the stallion. 
um, Stallions and I have never gotten along. I have no reason, I, idea why, they just tried to kill me regularly. So um, I had forgotten to bring the feed to, to lure him. And I was gonna try and corner him riding this very maneuverable barrel mare and kind of maneuver him into, haze him on her back into a paddock where we could catch him, small paddock. Uh, I think he knew what was up. <laughs> I uh, was wondering if all the time I was spending stoning and, and having fun like that was a waste of time or if I was actually getting something out of it somehow. And I remember I had ridden over to Tammy on Ticker's back. I, I'd lit a number and had a toke or two. And I rode over to, to where Tammy was waiting. And I gave it to her. And I, I said, I'm going to go try and maneuver him into the paddock so we could catch him. And I, I went to turn Ticker. And she was so responsive. Ticker was the mayor again. And she was so responsive. She like felt that I wanted to turn the moment I thought that I wanted to turn. That's the way barrel mares are. There's an incredible connection. And she spun on her heels really dramatically and lunged forward. And I literally had to grab the saddle horn to stay on her back. So here we are in a hard gallop, um, chasing the stallion. I don't even remember his name. Mud, let's call him Mud. Here I am chasing Mud. And um, I'm right behind him and standing in the stirrups and I'm, uh, see everything slips into slow motion. And I see his rump seeming to lift in the air. My face was down quite low, close to my mount's neck. And Michael, my guide says to me inwardly, um, he's kicking. And my response inwardly was, so what? He can't get me up here again that rash attitude that I'd always had. I was wrong. Uh, he, I, saw the, I saw the rump come up and I saw the hooves come towards me and suddenly, I never felt the impact. Suddenly I rolled left. Now I didn't, the body didn't roll left. I rolled left. I rolled left and left the body before there was any impact for me to feel. And I was about and I'd had a few NDE, I mean, uh, out-of-body experiences before. And I went about 150 feet away and turned back to watch what happened. And I watched as the body on the back of the horse, the head snapped back and the arms let go of the reins. And then the horse that I was riding as the body fell back because the horse was running out from underneath me and I had been knocked backwards. And so I watched the, my body flop a few times on her back as she ran out from underneath it and it was in so slow motion it was like still flat frames click 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 i watched the body hit the ground watched the head hit first to shoulders then the hips then the knees and legs and suddenly i was in this void and i felt perfect I had never felt so perfect in my life. And I said to myself, more or less, I'm perfect. Nothing can ever hurt me again. And suddenly I'm aware of Michael's presence when he responds to me 
Nothing could have ever hurt you to begin with. You are an eternal being. Now, this is an interesting phenomenon because I tasted Michael's presence. When I say taste, I didn't hear him. It was more like a, a scent or a taste is part of a thing. You know, it's the molecules coming off the thing that you, that you perceive. I tasted Michael's presence. And when he said you're an eternal being, nothing could have ever hurt you to begin with. I tasted the verity of what he was saying. I knew it was so. And I said to him, that being so, and I know it is, I can taste it. Why was it all so scary? He said, it was scary because you believed you could suffer loss and die. But that was necessary for you to have the experiences and to learn from them what you went there to learn. And I said, well, what was that? I can't quite remember. Why did I go there? Now, mind you, there was an instant just, a, just before that, just at this point where I thought, why, it's you, of course. I thought you were imaginary and I've been not listening to you. And then because I didn't listen, here I am in this lustrous void. But it was just a passing. It was so, of course, that we went right on to things. It was like picking up with your best friend in a conversation that you just left off a day before. And you just pick right back up, you know. And um, I, he said, you went there to learn to summon your will. Actually, he didn't say to learn. He said, you went there to summon your will. And I said, summon my will? You mean I went through all of that suffering just to learn what I wanted? And he said, no, you misunderstand what I mean by will. I'm going to have to show you. Suddenly, I'm seeing myself through my mother's eyes and being myself as a 18-month-old child laying on the floor, screaming because she's put my first pair of shoes on me. First pair of shoes. I thought she tied me to the floor. And I felt her amused, sad bewilderment. She was feeling this real melange of feelings, you know. My poor little girl, she thinks something terrible is happening. And I saw that while I had experienced it as something horrible at the time, I had made it that way because of the way I named it, that the shoes had actually been given to protect my feet, okay? I saw the blessing. Now, this was something Michael always showed to me all my life since I was five was the blessing in things. So... I got that. Suddenly, vroom, I'm back with Michael in the void. And only briefly to get the full understanding. Ah, the shoes were to protect my feet. I see. Vroom. Now I'm facing my abuser, my sexual abuser. And I'm fighting him. And I realize in, in that moment that because of what that abuser did to me, I had found Michael in my consciousness who had served as a, a constant companion and guide and a comfort ever since. 
So it was another blessing that he showed me that came out of what I labeled misery and experienced as great suffering while I was in the world. Suddenly, I'm having my rear end blistered by my dad for hiding because I had PTSD. I hid all the time. And uh, he's wearing out a switch on me. And I left my body during the experience. I'm having a life review or an incident review, a vignette of my life, and remembering leaving my body in that, in that incident. And the blessing that came out of that incident was because it happened so many times. Because I was in this cycle, I couldn't tell my father what was happening with Alfred, my because of his terrible temper, I couldn't tell dad. So I realized that from all of that, leaving my body over and over again, I learned that I was not my body, okay? So suddenly, boom, I'm back with Michael in the lustrous void. Each one of these vignettes is an actual descent into a reliving of the incident, not just from my point of view though, from other points of view. But the point of everything that he showed me was I had made the suffering from the event by the way I labeled the event, okay? By what I decided the meaning of the event was, I had made it the terrible thing it had been to me. Okay. So I suddenly realize at this point um, that we make ourselves suffer by naming or we make ourselves grow spiritually emotionally by finding the blessing and whatever is happening there is something in it for you there is a it's a didactic experience all of it so you can redeem the suffering by finding the blessing or you can never become, or you can be in a state where you never become that conscious and never decide to wield your own ability to decide what things mean, your own consciousness. And I realized at that moment that um, we had made, we do make the world. We do make our own worlds. We make our own stories. We construct the, the story that we tell ourselves about our lives. And, um, I, and, and then we hand away our power to the world by saying it's doing things to us. People are doing things to us. Instead of saying, what shall I learn from this? What shall I teach myself from this? What shall I take from it? Which is your godly state. It is because we're all divine beings, we have that power but only once we're awakened to the fact that we have that power. I said to him, we, first of all, we both laughed. We laughed at how ridiculous it was that we, the gods who actually create our own experience and create this world, hand over causality to the world, hand away our power by blaming the world, because we don't want to take responsibility ourselves. We don't want to say, I'm not the blame for that. Okay. But when we give away our blame, 
we give away our power. We say we have no control over it by saying I'm not the blame. Well, you may not be the blame for what's happening to you, but you're certainly the source of what you decide it means, okay? You may not be conscious that you're doing it, but you're deciding what it means. In this realization that this is my will, this is actually exercising my will, summoning it by or wielding it by determining what things will mean to me. I, uh, I said to him, oh, this is also clear. It's also beautiful and simple and so amazing. And I've been doing it wrong my whole life. I've been making things worse by this, what I said to myself about the situation. It's not what happens to you in life. It's all happening for you. It's what you tell yourself that determines how you feel about it. It's what you tell yourself happened. It's what you tell yourself it means. I said, I must be dying. Oh my gosh, I must be dying. Am I dying? Said I to Michael. And he said, um, well, your body is laying in a field down from head trauma. And if you can't make it stand up, it will cease because your brain will smell swell. And I said, um, I have to go back and tell everyone. I, this could really help people suffer less. If they really realized that they have this power to decide what things mean, they would suffer less. How do I get back in? The world is just a dream. And I, 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 I assure you that waking up in the lustrous void is wonderful. And it's actually like wakening from a dispiriting dream. Dying is like, just like waking up from a bad dream. You've had bad dreams before where you wake up and you go, oh, I'm so glad my existence springs from a reality higher than that dream. And that dream really can't affect me, right? That's the way death is. You go, oh man, that's, that was terrible. I'm so glad my reality springs from a higher dimension where nothing in that can really affect me, right? So here I am going, you know, with this new perspective, I'm gung-ho, yes, send me back in, coach. I've got it now, I'm reoriented. And that's very much what it felt like to me. I was ready to go right back. I gotta tell him all that suffering, right? How do I get back in? And he said, well, you've already gone back into your timeline several different places during your, your review where I showed you the will. But uh, if you want to, if you want to remember what you learned here, so you can tell everybody, you have to go back into the last moment, you, through the last moment. And he said you could go back any place you wanted. You could even avert the accident by coming in, by coming in at a point just before the accident and avoiding it that way. But you won't remember because then. The, the things you just learned won't be in that timeline, okay? You have to go back into the wrecked body. And I was like, didn't even ask what condition the body was in. Did not inquire. I just said, how do I do it? He said, remember the last moment that you can recall. And that was the horse's rump lifting in slow motion, right? Remember that and summon your will to return. That's all you have to do. And I did it. I just remembered the last moment and determined to come back. And it was like a rushing of wind. 
whoosh, is what it felt like. And that's what it sounded like. And I was back in my body trying to get up. Now, mind you, uh, it took me several attempts to get up and I had to have someone's help to get up. And I was waxy catatonic uh, and only intermittently for about five minutes and only intermittently conscious for about the next six to eight hours. Um, I, the girl that was with me, Tammy, had just learned to drive a stick shift the day before. And she had um, literally just the day before. And I, we were there in my stick shift. And um, it was a, uh, an Anglia, an old English Ford. I'm 63 dating myself um she drove me to the hospital and uh i just kept passing back out and the doctors um wanted to keep me um after about eight or nine hours though and they kept asking me for the names of my family my next of kin my father was away he just remarried and i was not going to tell them my mother's name because my mother gets really upset and high strung over things. And I'm I've always been extremely sensitive to other people's emotions and her emotions when she starts weeping, is a terrible burden on my heart. I mean, it just, you know, and I was not going to have them call her until I knew I was okay. Okay. That she was going to be getting good news. Your daughter did not die today. Okay, well, I did briefly, but <laughs> mom won't know. I won't tell. Um, uh, and so I, I sent myself home from the hospital. I, in another rash maneuver, told the doctors, I'm not staying and I'm not giving you my next of kin. I'm leaving and here's where you can send the bills and bye. Um, and uh, then, then I went home. Uh, I wasn't living at my mom's house, but it was where I'd grown up. And um, I was living at my dad's house and, and my little, got my little sister because the doctor said, you have to have somebody with you for the next 48 hours because this could get serious. So I went to, you know, you could pass out, go into a coma and die. You can't be alone. So I got my little sister to come with me and uh, stay with me for a couple of days. And um, I still have... Uh, well, they're down now. I, I have about six to 10 non-convulsive seizures a day. And on account of that, I'm disabled. And that's, that's my NDE. Thank you for sharing your experience with us. When you first came back, were you thinking about your experience and doubting it? Or did you already know that it was real? I knew it was real. I knew it was transformative. I knew I had been shown something that if I could explain it to other people would be very helpful to ending suffering, you know, because it's like you're, um, for instance, somebody says something to you that triggers an old emotion, an old pain, and then you're in that and you're feeling that pain and you're identified with the pain, but that pain is not you just like your body is not you and your mind that is telling you the stories that are making you unhappy. Your mind is not you. 
your mind will attack your peace. But if you can realize the story you're telling yourself, if you can observe yourself and your mind, the way it's working and the story that it's telling you and the way it's making you sad or angry, then suddenly you're no longer so identified with those emotions that you're in the suffering. Instead, you're the observer of the suffering. And if you do this often enough, you like stay in observer mode all the time, you know, instead of getting, you start using it, employing it, suddenly you start observing yourself, observing yourself, which is a very peculiar uh, feeling. Um, but it, it, at first, at first, but it, it makes you much more impervious to suffering. I, I came through a horrible childhood. I've had really, really bad things happen to me in my life, just like all of us. But I have found a way to ask myself, what shall I teach myself from this? What shall I take from it? And rather than allowing things that occur to just toss me emotionally and to suffer, instead, I'm in charge of what I decide things mean. Okay, so I knew it was real. I knew it was transformative, but this was 1978. Nobody was ready for NDEs. Mm -hmm. And when I would try to tell people about it, they would invariably say to me, it's just the brain damage. You'll get better. Yeah. What can you do? So I've sat on this for 43 years go go not kidding go away (laughs) he's my favorite and he knows it (laughs) (laughs) and and he won't take no no. say again i said and it looks like he doesn't want to take no for an answer well can you see him Mm -hmm. yeah yeah he still wants to come back is he a problem? No, not for me. Okay. Not okay. At all. Good. Not at all. Be good, you. He'll come back. Uh, this one grew up in my hair. His name is Bindu because there's a little chakra right mm-hmm. here at the top of your head called mm-hmm. Bindu. And it's supposed to be where we drop off the, the, vi- the eternal vine of energy to make this incarnation. Michael calls them incarnations. And I ask him why. And he says, because it's one damn thing after another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so this one always loved to sleep on top of my head when I brought him as a kitten, a little tiny kitten, um, brought him home. And uh, so he, he get the, he's got the name Bindu. Well, he definitely loves you. He's cra- All my cats are crazy about me. All my do what you, can, I say? can you remember what part of your body you exited from and returned through? Like your head, your chest, your, your root chakra? No, I rolled left. That was my sensation. I'm seeing the horse rump coming up and the hooves coming up. And suddenly, and then Michael says, he's kicking. And I'm like, he can't get me. And I'm rolling left. I'm rolling left, and I don't know what's going on. I just know I'm rolling left, and suddenly, whoosh, I'm like 150 feet away, and uh, and cats, and uh, looking back, 
and watching this unfold. You know, there was a kind of not putting the dots together, not really putting the dot, just experiencing naked experience with no stories assigned for a while. In fact, um, after I came back and I was in my body trying to uh, intermittently awake in the field, trying to get up, trying to walk around, um, uh, everything was just data data threads, data trains. I, I, I remember here, the girl that was with me, I had a bandana on my forehead and I could feel her thumb go underneath the bandana and pull it off my head, pulling my head to the side a little bit, a little jerk to the side, right? And then she ran off and I'm standing there kind of wavering on my feet and there's a guy stirring a, a, a fire pit, a deep pit of... of trash i think that he was burning i don't know what it was and i'm just wavering on my feet and i hear her say get away from the fire and it meant nothing to me they were just phonemes they were just sounds and i'm just standing there staring waxy catatonic you know and she's and i hear her crunch 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 and she's she's getting ice i know now because the i can look at the data streams the memories that are available of what happened and, and there's a consciousness here just to say, oh, that's what was going on. That's what that data stream means, right? But she was getting ice out of the cooler we had bought and putting it in a bandana and she, you know, wrapped it shut and she came to me and she said, put this on your face. And I'm just standing there staring at her because nothing she's saying means anything, okay? And um, so she put the, the, the bandana in my hand and put my hand against my face. She did it, hmm. right? So, so, and then she's leading me to the car by my left hand. I'm holding the ice cloth against my face. She's leading me. And I remember how herky jerky my movements were. And I was really discombobulated, not walking well at all. And in fact, my, I remember coming to, at that point, actually becoming conscious, coming aware of the body again. And I'd been on my feet a while and I'm thinking like Michael must have been navigating my body or something must have been actually making it work because he had told me I needed to make it stand up. And I think he helped me stand it up. And um, I, my brain told me I was upside down. My nervous system said you're upside down, which made it very hard to walk. The only way I could tell I was right side up was because I could feel the earth pressing against my feet, on the bottoms of my feet. And then I said, no, I can't be upside down. You know, I feel that. So I, I really must be on my feet, you know, and everything, you know, looks right side up. But why does my nervous system say I'm upside down? You know, so, um, yeah, it was, uh, I don't recall going out. Now, I did at one time in my experimentation, I went to a friend's house and they were, uh, they were sucking nitrous oxide out of something like a little, I don't know what they call it, wicked or something like that, a little whippet or something. But they were putting it in a balloon. They were getting the nitrous oxide out of the, um, the whipping cream dispenser, you know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and... Um, they said, uh, take a little, take a little uh, hit off of what's in the balloon. And I did, took a very little hit. And in that instance, I shot out of the top of my head like a rocket, whoosh, right through the atmosphere, poked my head out and went, looked at space, literally. It was just 
wow. And I hear them at this point back on earth going, take a little more. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know how I answered them, but I hear myself back on earth saying, no, I think that's quite enough. (laughs) Wham, back in the body again. But in that instance, I shot out through my head. I'm assuming that you reestablished your relationship with Michael. And if so, are you still in, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Constant is the right word, but you know, regular communication with him. All I have to do is shut up and listen, and he's there. Hmm. I mean, I I am never alone. I live alone. I'm never alone, and I'm not talking about the bird or the cats. <laughs> do you think Michael is? someone from your soul group, like another kindred spirit that's helping you? Or do you think he's more like an angel? He's not an angel. Um, what I have gotten, it's not a matter of thinking because, and, and Michael speaks quite precisely at times. Um, and I don't always hear him in words. I usually hear him in concepts, inward concepts. Sometimes, often, the concepts he gives me open they like bloom in my mind in in their um relevance importance and the way they integrate with other things that i know it's really quite amazing and difficult to describe we need a lexicon to talk about this stuff but um he uh he says that more or less Although we have, he's had incarnations, and he tells me angels never have physical, biological, reproductive incarnations. He he calls himself Damon, a Damon. I am your Damon. Okay, your Damon is the higher consciousness out of which you spring, um, the consciousness that has existed in many, many lifetimes, and all of them are uh, incarnations of that same spirit. So basically, that's why he calls me Michaeline, because I am like him. I am Michael-esque or Michaeline. Um, But uh, he says we've had many relationships in physical bodies, many different types of relationships in physical bodies. But that basically, he made me from himself for himself. Okay, that I'm like, yeah, like we are all always fragmenting or extending is a better way to put it. Like um, you see, uh, what do they call those things? Um, they, they, I'm getting it. It's an F word. Uh Fractals, fractals, consciousness uh, fractalizes, grows in fractals, and I'm an extension I'm of a fractal, making more fractals, just as he's made. We're all that way. Mm-hmm. So, so are you saying that Michael is your higher self? Apparently, um, but yeah. Yeah, there is no separation. And that's an interesting point, too, that when I was in the lustrous void, as I like to call it, Michael calls it quantum eminence. 
Okay, because he says everything there is on the brink of happening. Everything is just about to happen all the time. Um, and you can summon anything from the void. And that's something that he's gone out, out of his way to talk to me about is that um, when you're in the lustrous void, uh, he says to me that there are, there are many worlds, many, many, many beautiful venues um, and, and some hellish venues that we create for ourselves. There is no higher power that's going to put you in hell, but you might create it for yourself if you feel like you deserve that. You might summon it for yourself in the void. Um, but uh, he, he basically tells me that most people um, end up coming right back into the earth, into the earth venue when they die for a variety of reasons. Um, sometimes it's a... Sometimes it's because, often it's because of what he calls trappings, uh, the trappings of the world, the personalities that you love in the world. Like that was one of my major considerations is I didn't, I didn't want to leave my family because I knew it was just a dream and that I was fine, but they wouldn't know that and they would suffer. And so a lot of people hit the lustrous void and rather than realizing that there's lots of venues, like for instance, the home venue, the home beacon, the light that everybody sees, okay, is a venue that we like to call heaven, all right? And and you can summon that when you're in the void to go there anytime you want. Just put yourself in that frame of mind to go there, to be there, just like he said, will yourself back into your body by summoning the last moment to memory and then willing to be there and you'll go there. If you want to go to heaven from the void, you can go there, but there are other worlds to be visited. You just have to control your own feelings about yourself so that you don't summon an untoward, uh, an unpleasant experience for yourself and scare yourself right back into some inopportune incarnation in the world. Because, you know, the, the body is like a reducing valve on reality. It, it's, it tunes you to this particular consensual reality that we're all like this cooperative dream we're having. And so if you, um, if you, uh, once you're out of the body, there's a whole lot of stuff there to be experienced and witnessed. And, uh, some of it's pretty scary. And so people actually, spirits will rush back into bodies because they want to avoid all that scary stuff they're seeing in the void. Mm. Um, the Tibetan Book of the Dead speaks of that, in fact. Uh, two things. Did he tell you how to control yourself when you're in the void? And two, can you tell us a little bit more about what's so scary? Um, what's scary, okay, the lustrous void quantum eminence is where everything is, as I said, waiting to happen, just about to happen. You can summon anything from it, any experience, anything you want, you can summon from the void, especially while you're in the void. Okay. And um, if you're a person who feels guilty about something and you feel like you deserve a bad experience or punishment, you're going to summon that. And most people are walking around with a huge amount of guilt. Most people are walking around with, a, with a, a huge amount of regret. And so the way to avoid summoning for yourself something that scares you back into an inopportune in, incarnation, you know, you just grab the first baby body available, 
<laughs> you know, um, the way to avoid that is to forgive everything. Let everybody off the hook. Let yourself off the hook. Let everybody off the hook simultaneously. Um, this is a, it's transformational in your life when you do it. Uh, when you just forgive it all, and I don't mean like forgive it like you did something, you know, you did something bad to me, um, but I'm so gracious and magnanimous, I can let you out, I can forgive you. No, I don't mean like that. I mean, find something redeeming in it that totally offsets any bad that you felt in it. Balance it out. Decide what it means to you. You decide what you will teach yourself from whatever happens to you. And so when you hit the void, you won't be going there with a big, with your mind attacking your peace so that you end up summoning something scary. And so what is there that is so scary? I mean, other beings, other non-humanoid beings, aliens? Well, I can't really, I haven't asked Michael about that before. Um, and I can't speak to anything but my own experience. Okay. Uh I suppose if I had thought, while I still thought I was alone there, if I had thought, oh my God, I've died, I might have panicked. Fear will cause you to summon all kinds of things out of the void. And yeah, there's the lateral, there's really nothing. There might be Herukas. There might be Herukas in the void. There may be all kinds of spirits in the void. But you're going to summon them based on your own frequency. You're like a radio beacon. You're going to summon the same thing you're putting out there. You're going to summon it to you. It's going to come back. Has Michael mentioned to you that you can willfully enter the void during meditation? Yeah, he has. Yeah, I haven't been able to do it yet. I got to tell you about me is I used to get out so much out of body and um, I, I still get out of body quite a bit in dreams. Um, and when I'm out of body and I'm flying around, uh, it suddenly dawns on me. Aha. Now I'm smitten with Michael over the years. I've just grown madly in love with him. Right. I mean, who's his constant companion, always so loving, always gives you great insight. How can you not love? that right so i'll be out of the body and suddenly realize oh michael's here somewhere right because he calls that the lateral realms that's not the lustrous void he calls that the astral realms he calls the lateral realms they are they are not uh when you leave this realm if you don't go to the void if you don't go to someplace higher plane you're going to go lateral planes which are sort of like probable worlds probable worlds that are waiting to materialize more or less probable ones being more difficult or easier to materialize it's like this version of the world also there now i have seen uh in um meditative states uh i have seen um ghosts of physical objects in lateral realms, like I, after my father died, my dad died, I was talking to him. He uh, was in the backyard of, uh, of the house where he had lived, where I had lived with him. 
and there was a hedge there we had pulled out uh he and i and my ex-husband some years before and i and i asked him i inquired about dad that hedge is gone in reality and he said yes but it still exists in the lateral realms it's in he didn't use the word lateral realms it still exists here okay so um i've kind of forgotten your question <laughs> that's okay <laughs> and i think you answered it i was talking about entering the void intentionally during meditation and i also wanted to follow up with that is like can you if you can enter the void willfully during meditation can you go there and then manifest things that you want for yourself in life you know positive things like uh, you know i want to be whatever i want to i want to win the lottery you don't have to go to the void to do that uh to work on manifesting things and he's been talking to me quite a bit about that lately. Uh, I have a knack since I came back for finding things. Okay. Um, also, things seem to just disappear around me. And I'll say, and I'm a very, because I've lost a lot of memories and regained them. It's important to me when I lose things. It upsets me quite a bit. Um, and so I'm very meticulous about putting things in the same place all the time. So I don't lose them. And when they disappear, I'm like, Michael, um, where is it? Could you please give it back? Or could you show me where it is, please? And literally my head will just turn and my eyes will land on the thing. Um, a lot of times, or I'll reach in a drawer to get things, and my drawers are all full of all sorts of stuff. But it's almost invariable that my hand will land right on the thing that I need. And repeatedly, the thing he has said to me about this is, is it there in the place where you pictured it to be because it was there? Or is it there because you pictured it there? This is one of the things Michael says to me, does to me regularly. He asks me questions. I'll say, I don't have a lot of time left, but I know I'm supposed to be doing something important. And he will say, you have all the time in the world. Okay. And he's very specific about that. All the time in the world has a special meaning to him um, that has to do with the nature of time that my mind is not yet prepared to grasp much less tell somebody else. It's like you have to have your mind conceptually prepared to understand the way reality actually works. But it's more a matter of, and this, is, this goes back to faith, believing that the thing that you are trying to summon, uh, you deserve to have, and that it will indeed come to you is essential. If you are thinking at the point you ask for it, that you don't deserve it, or you never win anything, it's not going to work for you. You are canceling your summoning at the very moment you are uttering it or thinking it. So it's a matter of not having, it's a matter of an undivided heart and mind. They have to be together. And if you're canceling your own summonings, 
nothing happens. I think there's a scripture in the Bible that says something about the double-minded get nothing. Hmm. Don't cancel your own summonings. Prayers. Have you decided or thought about, okay, after this life, are you coming back or, or are you going on to other worlds? I will never come back to this place. <laughs> no way. No way. Okay. And I tell them, I tell them this all the time, you know, because I get like, all right, um, in the first place, I know I was supposed to come back to tell people about the experience and that they have this power over their experience and how to have 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 that powerfulness as their experience okay to live in their godly estate to be at cause instead of at effect okay i know i'm supposed to be here i'm so excited about your shows because you in fact i didn't mention it but during the nde i saw that there were like waves and a, a huge wave over time of thousands and thousands of people who had decided souls who had decided to come into the world venue for a specific moment and time so that their experience and their knowledge and their ability to wield their own will their godly estate and to show it to others would result in the transformation of the earth when it most needed it now I'm reading quantum lately, okay, uh, and and more and more it's becoming, you know, just sort of burned into my psyche that the venue is conscious. The venue we live in is conscious. It's connected intimately, completely to us. There is no separation whatsoever. It knows what your expectations are. Quantum physics shows us this over and over again. The venue is aware, it's aware of what you expect, and it gives it to you. So if you expect to win the lottery, you're much more likely to win the lottery, okay? Um, and so, um, yeah, your show actually is a place where I am running into the types, people on my team. When I was in the void looking back, it was like, all these people, you're on that same team. You're on that team, the, the team of people who came here to help at this time. And I think NDEs are actually part of how you waken up to who you are. It's like getting a, a talking to by the coach. They pull you out of the game briefly and say, reorient. Okay, I know you forgot all this stuff, but this is who you really are. Okay, now get back in there and help those other people who have no clue. Okay, mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, but... um. Yeah, I wanted to be with that team. I wanted to be with that team. And your show has caused me to already identify, you know, I, I meet people regularly that I think, oh, this person's part of my team. You know, I, I feel the, the instant affinity. Ah, this mm -hmm. interesting kind of love that hasn't got any sort of ulterior motives. Just there's nothing biological about it. It's just... You know, nothing trying to get anything out of anybody, just love, right? And a number of people, for instance, this morning I watched um, Rosemary Thornton, and, and she's so team, man. She's mm -hmm. so team. She just blew me away. And I'm so grateful for your show because you're really helping me locate team. Mm, thank you. Well, thank you. That's the first way I've ever been complimented about that. You really are. Oh, you really are. And, and, and 
I don't know if the others know that they're on this team, you know, that they're, uh, but clear as day to me. It'll be interesting to see what happens after this, if anybody else makes this association. Connection? Yeah, this connection. Yeah, well, uh, it, it, it didn't start for me. That connection didn't happen for me. I mean, I've been like, okay, 43 years waiting, going, okay, look, you know, lots of seizures every day, physically miserable, okay, difficulties, nauseous all the time, all this stuff I'm going through. I came back here to do what? Mm-hmm. To do what? To do what? 43 years later, I stumble across your show about eight months ago, started watching the NDEs, and I'm going, oh, my God. It's team. It's team. Jeff's helping me find the team and he doesn't even know it. <laughs> well, you, that would be great if you guys all contact each other. I have contacted a couple of them, but most of them are not aware of the whole team thing. Mm-hmm. And even if they were aware, they'd be, what are we supposed to do now? Yeah. You know, yeah, that's we're true. hooking up. What are we supposed to do now? It's uh, interesting when you said earlier about being a coach, because just one of my recent guests just said that she felt like this, her NDE was like a course correction. Yes. And it was for me too. I mean, it was clearly the message was, by the way, Colleen, this is why you're miserable all the time. You're letting the environment do things to you instead of deciding what happens, what it means. You decide what things mean. It's not what happens to you in life that determines the kind of feelings you have. It's what you tell yourself has happened. Sorry about that. That's okay. All right, Michaeline. Well, I'm running out of time, so I want to do what I can to assist you personally. Do you have anything that you would like to promote? Book, class, website, anything? Actually, um, I have written one book and it's fiction. Um, And uh, I've put everything that I could without being obvious about it, because I want it to be a story. I want people to learn from it vicariously. Um, The book is called Chalice. Um, It's meant to be very marketable. It's very sexy, very sexy story. Um, And it is not available yet. Uh, It's finished. I'm looking for an agent. Um, And if people want to keep in touch with me about that, there's two different places they can look for me. I go by pen names online. They can find me um, on Twitter uh, as Michaeline Moore, M-Y-C-A-I-L-I-N, and then M-O-H-R, Moore. Um, And they can find me by my usual pen name, which is pretty close to my phone, my, my real name, Callahan Grant on Facebook. Callahan is spelled C-A-L-L-A-G-H-A-N, Callahan, Callahan Grant. And I'm on Facebook that way. So they can hook up with me there. I'm anxious to hook up with any indie ears, if any of this resonates with any of them. Um, uh, and, and they recognize the whole team phenomenon, would like to hook up. I'm I'm keen for that. Um, And uh, let's see. They can also find my website. I do have a blog. I haven't done a lot of work on it lately, but it is callahangrant.com. And they can go there. It's called um, 
yeah, it's callahangrant.com, but it's uh, it's mostly stuff that I've learned from Michael over the years and things that have happened that uh, that were the experiences in which I learned those things from Michael, in which something would be going on and I would he would help me take from the event the messages that were most productive and helpful for me and probably for humanity too. Uh, so they can look for me there. Well, one of the questions I'd considered asking was, no, I'm going to leave that. We'll just move on. If people want to reach out to me, you often Ooh. say. Yeah, I do. Well, you, I was going to say that, but you kind of already <laughs> said that. You already gave that I information. I was going to, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking, well, I don't have to ask that question. They can also reach out to me at my email address which is Michaeline Moore mm-hmm. I don't think I need to spell it a third time or a second time right um, at gmail now that's, that's not only potential team members that's just anybody sure 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 as long as they're not trying to sell me something um, I'm I'm disabled because of the seizures nobody wants to hire somebody that's having you know 10 or 15 little seizures a day, even though they can't tell I'm having them. Right. Unless I, unless I tell them I'm having a seizure, by the way, pause for the seizure. Um, but, uh, and I'm trying to repurpose myself as a writer. Uh, so if anybody wants to work together on some writing projects, I'm up for that. That's great. Well, you may know what I'm already going to say then. Can you give us one last positive message? Positive message. Nothing happens to you. It all happens for you. Instead of allowing yourself to be tossed by what happens in the world, stop and observe your own mind, the way it's attacking your peace or the way it is promoting your peace. Observe that. And then you become, you choose to become the one who decides what things mean. By doing this, you curate your experience of the world. And it is, although it sounds very simple, it is magically powerful do that because we are all gods here all of us and that's how you start to exercise your godly estate just by deciding to be the one who decides what things will mean to and for you well thank you for that message and michaeline thank you so much for being my guest i wish you massive success in whatever you're doing and happy holidays to you Happy holy days to you too. And Jeff, from my spirit heart, I thank you for creating this venue. And I love you, dude. You're great. Oh, thank you. I love you too. Okay, cool. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.